So, yeah, so now if any children wish to leave for the Sunday school class, this is the chance for them to do. And if the rest of us could turn in our Bibles to Titus chapter 3. And this is found on page 1,185 in the Church Bibles. Page 1185. The Church Bibles are in the pew in front of you if you wish to follow the black-covered Bible, black-cover book. So page 1185, Titus chapter 3. And verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So I'd encourage you to keep your Bible open uh, because we'll be looking at this passage in just a moment. Uh, But first of all, let's pray and ask God for his help. Oh Lord God, we do thank you for your word and we do thank you that your word teaches us about the salvation which you have provided In the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, please would you help me to be able to teach your word clearly and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And please, at the same time, will you be at work in each one of us to give us understanding of what is said. And also to give us faith and repentance that we might truly know you in our lives and that we might serve you as we should. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in the readings that we tend to have 
at this time of year, uh, the readings from Scripture, we frequently find uh, the words save or saviour being used. Uh, You remember how the, we just read earlier, how the angel said to Joseph that he was to call the baby that, he was, that, that Mary was going to bear, uh, Jesus, which means God saves. And the angel gave the reason, for he will save his people from their sins. And then when the baby was born, the angel appeared to the shepherds. And the shepherds, the angel announced to the shepherds, today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. So we see how the Christmas stories talk about uh, one who is a saviour. And the word saviour is used in other scriptures as well. Um, there was a, in, in, in John's Gospel, chapter 4, there's a story about how Jesus had a conversation with a, a woman of Samaria by the well. And uh, she was amazed that Jesus knew all about her life. And then she went back and told the friends, and the friends then came and met Jesus. And they said to the woman, after they talked with Jesus... They said, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. And then at the beginning of our service we read from 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, where Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying and full of acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, so we use this word save or saviour a lot to talk about Jesus. But I suspect that sometimes some people don't really fully understand what is meant by that word. Save or saviour. It's one of those cliche words, isn't it? We, we associate this word with Jesus. But do we really understand what the word means? I think we probably have an idea roughly that it means being rescued from danger. But from what does Jesus rescue us? How does he save us? In what sense does he save us? And by what means does God use Jesus to save us? What is the mechanism by which we are saved? And it's that that I want us to think about this morning. And that's why we read that passage uh, that I just read to us from Titus chapter 3. And if you've just arrived or if you didn't catch the, the reference, I would encourage you to turn to it. It's in your black church Bibles on page 1185, Titus chapter 3, and verses 1 to 8. And this passage uses the word saviour twice. It talks about how, it talks about, it says verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our saviour, appeared. Verse 5, it, then it says, he saved us. And then also uh, talks about how the Holy Spirit was poured out on us richly through verse 6, through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. So here is a passage about God our Saviour, Jesus our Saviour, Jesus who saves. And so it helps us to understand this, this word which we find in our Christmas readings, this word Saviour, or the word saves. 
Now, uh, so, uh, and what this passage teaches us is that what it is that God rescues us from is sin. That's our problem. We have, all of us, broken God's laws. We are sinners. And because of that, we deserve to go to hell. And, and God rescues us from our sin. He rescues those who believe from their sin. In the sense that they are no longer counted as guilty sinners. They're no longer counted, regarded as worthy to be condemned. Through Jesus. Having, through what happens through Jesus coming into the world and saving people. Dying for their sins. But also this passage talks about how not only is the guilt of our sin taken away. But also... The power of sin is destroyed. Because the problem we've got is not only that we are guilty sinners, we're slaves of sin in our natural state. And what this passage tells us is that through Jesus coming into the world, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And the Holy Spirit saves those who believe from the power of sin so they are set free to serve God now this is a very important passage for us all to consider for those of us who are true believers as we look at this passage it it can help us to understand better or to remind us of what God has done for us in Jesus how he has saved us from sin and this should help us to be grateful to God for what he's done for us and should also encourage us and move us to serve God more wholeheartedly but then also for any who may be present who are not yet saved from their sins not yet true believers God could use this passage to save them, even today. Today, you could be saved. Even right here in this room, you could be saved. You could be born again. You could become a child of God. Your life could be transformed as you hear this passage today. So I hope that all of us, whether we're already Christians or whether we're not yet Christians, I hope that all of us will listen very, very carefully to what is being said. And I do pray that God will grant us all that understanding and that faith to accept what is being said. Now the way I propose to handle this passage is to think first of all about the need, what the passage teaches us about our need to be saved. And that's primarily from verse 3. And then I want us to consider uh, how God saves us from the guilt of our sin, which is spoken about in verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5 and also in verse 7. And then I want us to think about how those who believe are saved also from the power of sin and that is in uh, verse uh, verse second half of verse 5 and verse 6 and then to think about the effect that these things should have upon us in our daily lives uh, and that is in the first three verses and a bit also in verse 8 so then first of all our need to be saved. Now, if you would like to just have a look with me in Titus chapter 3 and verse 3 now. Just look, have a look at, at verse 3 there. It says, For we ourselves were once 
foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So what Paul does here is he reminds Titus about how Titus used to be and how Paul himself used to be before he was a Christian and indeed about how every person who is now a Christian, how they used to be before God worked in their lives. And it's not a very flattering description, is it? doesn't say we were all really nice, good people. Not at all. Far from it. They were living in a way which was wrong towards God and a way which was wrong towards other people. The first four things he says in that verse uh, are really things about how they were wrong towards God. He says they were foolish see that's the way we all are naturally speaking foolish uh, the bible says that uh, talking about mankind it says cl- claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal god for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles we've become fools We have all sorts of foolish and wrong ideas about God and about how to live and, and make really bad decisions because of this, the way in which we have uh, turned from God and the way in which, because of the way in which we do not want God in our lives. Then another thing it says It says that we were disobedient. God has given us his holy laws, the Ten Commandments. He's told us that we should love, that we should love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And we should love our neighbour as ourselves. And we've disobeyed God. Scripture says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, for those who've recently arrived, we're looking at Titus chapter 3. And uh, what it teaches us is about salvation. And we're looking at the moment now at, at verse 3, which in most of the church Bibles is on page one one. Eight, five. And then it says that they've been, that he says they were led astray. We were led astray. And that's how, again, how mankind is led astray. Some charlatan comes forward, some false teacher comes forward, some, somebody with some crazy idea about God and some crazy idea about how to live. And people just wander off after him. They forsake the truth. And we just wander away into all sorts of false and wrong ideas. And then he says about them. He says that they were uh, slaves to various passions and pleasures. And that's a description, isn't it, of mankind in our natural state. Slaves of various passions and pleasures. Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. We might not all be enslaved to the same things. Some people are enslaved to to drink, some are enslaved to drugs, some are enslaved to sex, some are enslaved to money, some are enslaved to political power. 
to fame, to celebrities, to sport. Your different idol might vary from person to person, but everybody in our natural state, we're all enslaved to sin. So their attitude to God was completely wrong, but also, he says, that their attitude towards other people was wrong as well. He says that they were hated. No, sorry, we lived, we passed our days in malice and envy. Malice is where you want other people to be hurt. You know, you hear of somebody else who's got, 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 got come, come, come across, you say, oh yes, great. Why do we do that? Because there's this lack of love that's within us. Envy, that's when you are miserable if somebody else is blessed. That's what we tend to have. We have this tendency towards envy, jealousy, wanting what other people have got. And he then talks about how their lives were characterized by hatred. He says, you were, we were hated by others and hating one another. Again, that's a description, isn't it? That is how how mankind is. Hatred. You've got to, you only, you, you, you open your, you go on the news or you're on your, your news feed. Hatred, hatred, murder, strife, quarreling, divorce. And the trouble is, you look out there, but you look inside and you see the same sort of things. Anger, bitterness, resentment within our own hearts, don't we? So, this is why we need saving. Because of our sinfulness. Now, when the Apostle says we in these verses, he's not just referring to himself and to his, to his own contemporaries who were alive at the time. That word we refers just as much to us. We means you and me, doesn't it? That's how we are in our natural state. For those of us who are believers now, this is, how, this is a description of how we used to be. We should never forget our past. It's very easy once you've been a Christian for a little while... And, and your life has started to change, it's very easy then to look down on other people who behave in a grossly sinful way and say, oh, tut, 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 how terrible the way that, you know, look how they're being so immoral, look how they're getting drunk, look how they're doing, look how they're doing. Hang on a minute. What were you doing a few years ago? What was I doing a few years ago? What would you be doing now if you're a Christian... What would you be doing now if God had not worked in your life? Remember that story of the man who looked out and saw somebody being led off to be hung. In those days, criminals were hung publicly. And it's this, this godly man looked, saw this man being led off to be hung. He said... There but for the grace of God go I. That's where I would be going. And as, you're, as, you, as you as a Christian, you see sinners around you, enslaved by sin, on their way to hell, say to yourself, there but for the grace of God go I. That's what I used to be. And there's still those tendencies not very far beneath the surface in my life. It was this sinfulness that we have which was the reason why we needed saving. You see, if we were good, Jesus would never have needed to come into this world. You know, people say, you know, people say, oh, well, um, 
I can get to heaven through my works. Well, if you could get to heaven by your works, why did Jesus die on the cross? No. It's because we're sinners. That's why he had to come. God would never have allowed his son to become a human being. He would never have allowed him to die in agony on a cross if we were basically good. Of course not. Peter said, well, they can sort themselves out. No, because we're sinners. That's why he had to come. Now, I must, I have to at this point say a word to to anybody who might be among us who has not yet been saved. Because this description of how believers used to be before God worked in their lives... This is description, if you're not yet saved, this is description of how you are now. And when I say this, I'm not being superior, putting on airs and graces, because I know that, but for God's grace, I would be exactly the same. But, but this is what it says. So, you know, put yourself here in this, in, this, in this verse. I am now foolish, disobedient, Led astray, a slave to various passions and pleasures, passing my days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's you. That's a description of your life. And so because of your sin, You are in, and if you've not been saved, you are in a very, very dangerous position. If you have not been saved, then if you were to die today, you'd pass out immediately into Hades to be tormented, waiting for the final judgment. And then you'd pass off straight into hell once Jesus comes again. And so, this passage tells us how we need to be saved. Okay, so that's the first thing. We need to be saved. Now, the second thing to see from this passage is how this passage teaches us about how those who believe in Jesus have been saved from the guilt of their sin. Now, for this, we need to look at verses, verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5. So, uh, we're looking in Titus chapter 3, page 1185 in the Church Bibles. Titus chapter 3, and now we're looking at verse 4. But when the kindness, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So we see then, Paul here speaking to believers, he says to them that yes, they used to be in that terrible position of being dominated by sin, but... God, our, when, when the goodness and kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. He saved us. He saved us from both the condemnation of sin and also the power of sin. We'll think about the condemnation of sin first and then we'll think about the power of sin in the world. So he saved us from the condemnation of sin. The, you see, sin demand God's justice demands that there should be punishment for sin. If God were just simply to say, oh, I don't mind about your sin, it's fine, I'll forget about it. God would be unjust. See, this is why a Christian cannot go along with what Islam teaches. 
Islam teaches that Allah is so great, he can just command that people are forgiven. And that's it. doesn't need a sacrifice. He can just command that the people are forgiven. And then they're forgiven. Christianity says, the Bible says, no, that can't happen. Not without a sacrifice. There has to be a sacrifice. There has to be a payment. You go all the way back to the Old Testament, what do you find? Right back in the Garden of Eden. In order to clothe Adam and Eve after they sinned, an animal had to be killed. They were covered with skins, weren't they? Where did their skins come from? An animal was killed. God made a sacrifice for them. Abel, he made a sacrifice of an animal. Cain thought he could get away with just offering grain, but no. God said there had to be an animal sacrifice. And then you, you go through the Jewish system, the, animal, the sacrificial system. Animal after animal after animal. But of course those animals couldn't pay for sins. But they're pointing forward to the great sacrifice that was made. Jesus. And as I talked about that, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. Jesus is the one who made that sacrifice. And the reason why he was able to make the sacrifice is because he's God become man. This is why the Jehovah's Witness view of God cannot say, because the Jehovah's Witness view of God, is, of, of Jesus, is that Jesus was just a created angel, a superior angel. But a superior angel cannot pay for sins. Only God become man can pay for sins. And this is why it's so important as, we've been, as we think about it this Christmas time. That in Jesus, God became man. The eternal son of God, who is himself divine, took on human flesh in order to make that sacrifice for sins. And so Paul talks about that here. And he says that, that we have been saved, that, that we've been saved, those who trust in Jesus have been saved according to the goodness and loving kindness of God, which we receive through Jesus Christ. Notice he says, it's not because of our works. Not because of works done in righteousness, but because of his own mercy. This is where, again, Christianity, according to the Bible, greatly differs from other religions. For example, Judaism. A Jew tries to make himself worthy of going to God by keeping the Ten Commandments and by keeping lots of other laws and rules that there are in the Old Testament. Roman Catholicism tries something similar. Roman Catholicism says, well, you get baptized as a baby and then you do your first communion and then you, each week you have to go to Mass. And before you go to Mass, you have to go to the priest and do your confession. And you hope that by, by these various rituals and rites, you'll get enough grace to enable you to live a good enough life to may enable you to qualify for heaven. And the teaching of Catholicism is, well, if you don't quite qualify for heaven, well then you go to purgatory and you work off your sins for a few thousand years in purgatory and then you hope that if you can do enough good deeds, you will elevate yourself to be good enough for heaven. Islam teaches another form of religion by works. It says 
You pray five times a day. You make the right confession about Allah. You fast on Ramadan. You give to the poor. You go on pilgrimage to Mecca. You do these good deeds. And you hope that if you do enough good deeds, Allah might be merciful to you and let you into paradise. But this teaching says, not according to not because of works done by us in righteousness. It's not because of our deeds. Paul says in Ephesians, it is by grace you've been saved, by God's undeserved kindness you've been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, what takes away your guilt is not, oh, I've tried really hard. No. What takes away your guilt is that Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, your sins are paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross. That's the only thing that takes away your guilt. Verse 7 talks a bit more about that. It says, so that having been justified by his grace... We might become heirs having according to the hope of eternal life. Justified. What does that mean? To justify means to declare to be guiltless. To to declare to be righteous. See, because Jesus died on that cross, the person who trusts in Jesus, God puts upon that person... The righteousness of Christ. He treats that God treats that person as though he has never sinned in the whole of his life. And so this means that you can be if you trust in Jesus, you can be sure you're going to go to heaven. As it says there. Having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's no question, the person who trusts in Jesus, no question, oh, will I be saved? Will I go to heaven? No. If you trust in Jesus, you can be sure because your sins have been paid for. And so that's why Jesus is called the Savior. Because he saves us from going to hell. He saves us from the guilt of our sins. If, as long as you trust in him, you are saved. You're rescued from your sin. From the guilt of your sin. So, if you have trusted in Jesus already, if you are somebody who truly trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoice! Be glad! Your sins have been forgiven. You are justified before God. You, have, you can have confidence that you will be with the Lord in heaven. And for those who have not yet trusted in Christ for salvation, here is tremendous good news. You can be forgiven. Remember what the angel said. I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. Here's this tremendous news. Wow! No matter how terrible your sins have been, no matter how awful you've done, no matter how awful the things are that you've done, no matter how you've offended against God, if you will come to Jesus, all your sins will be blotted out. Remember, when was it? Was it two weeks ago we had the snowfall? It was, wasn't it? Remember, we were, we were um, in the service, in the evening service, came, it was fine, and then as we came out, the whole place was white. Absolutely beautiful. And the scripture says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
purified. So come to Jesus. He has the power. He, he, is, he is the saviour who saves from the guilt of sin. Now thirdly, Jesus is the one, those who believe in Jesus have been saved from the power of sin. Have a look now in Titus 3 at verses 5. Well, I shall read from verse 4 again. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of his own, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour. Now what this is saying is that not only is the person who trusts in Jesus saved from the guilt of sin, he's also saved from the power of sin through the working of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is coming into this world and his death on the cross and his ascension into heaven made possible the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon believers in power. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit, you find evidence of the Holy Spirit being at work in the Old Testament. But the work of the Holy Spirit was quite limited in Old Testament times, both in terms of the number of people who experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and also in terms of the extent to which they experienced his power. But what happened was that when Jesus had died on that cross and been raised again, those who trust in him are cleansed from their sin and therefore they are made fit to receive the Holy Spirit in power. And it talks there about the washing of regeneration. Now that word regeneration, perhaps we don't use very much these days, except perhaps in terms of like, you know, they're doing a bit of regeneration in the Teviot estate. You know, they're talking about rocking it down and rebuilding it. That's they call that regeneration. Well, what this is talking about is not rebuilding of a, of a physical estate, but rebuilding of the human heart. The word that we more often use is the word the rebirth. Where we were dead in our sins, but we are made alive by God. That's, so the, the word that is used here is regeneration or rebirth. And this, says the apostle, has the effect of, of, of washing that filthy heart that wanted to sin is washed. It's made clean. It's renewed. And it says there also, the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So, what happens is, when someone comes to Christ, the heart is changed. The nature is changed from what it used to be. And so what this does is it undoes the effect of what is described, what we learned in, in, in verse 3. The person who's born again was once foolish, but he becomes wise. He was once disobedient to God, but he becomes obedient. He was once led astray, but now he's led by Christ and by the word of God. He was once 
a slave to various passions and pleasures. But now he's a slave of Christ. He was once full of malice. But now he has love in his heart. He once once full of envy and discontent. But now he's got contentment. He's happy with his life. And what he has in life. He was once hated by others. And he hated others himself. But now he loves others. And he wants to do good to others. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is tremendous good news. You see, so many are aware that they are not what they should be. They've got a filthy temper. They're enslaved by, by, by drink, enslaved by sex, enslaved by drugs. Oh, if only I could be free from these things. But they can't get free. But in Christ, there is salvation. You can be saved from the power of sin. This is why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. You come to Jesus, you trust in Jesus, your life changes. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is the great good news. Salvation From the power of sin. You see, there are people who call themselves Christians. Who talk about Jesus Christ. But their lives don't, they don't nothing of of it. Because they don't believe the gospel. And Paul talks about them in, 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 in one of his letters. He says, they have a form of religion. But deny the power. But if you're a gospel believing Christian, if you believe this message that we've been talking about this morning, you don't just have the form, the empty form, but no power. You have the form and the reality. You have the power of God inside you. God himself living inside you, transforming you, changing you to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, finally, let us just briefly just see the effect that this should have upon us. If you are a Christian, if you've believed in Jesus, then knowing his power should make you different. Look at, let's go back now to verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To speak eve of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. See, if you've been born again, this should change the way you live. Now, I said a moment ago that we're not saved by our works. We're not. We're saved only by the grace of God. But having been saved, we should be doing good works. Not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. Look at what he talks about there. Submission to rulers, authorities. Obey the law of the land. Pay your taxes. Keep the speed limit. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Be obedient. Be a good wives, submit to your husbands. Employees, submit to their employers. Be ready for every good work. Be, be a good person who, who does good to other people. Speak evil of no one. Don't be a gossip and a slanderer. Avoid quarreling. 
pick a fight with somebody. Be gentle. Be kind. And show perfect courtesy towards all people. You know, being polite is not just like a a social virtue. It's actually in the Bible. (laughs) We should be polite. Be courteous. It's there. And then verse 8. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. You see, having been saved from the power of sin as Christians, well, let's use that power. The power of Christ to live in a transformed way. Uh, some Christians got the idea that you, you're a sinner and then you get saved from the guilt of your sin and then you carry on the rest of your life as a sinner saved by grace. Now there's an element of truth in that but it's also, it can be misleading because actually you don't, you should not carry on the same as you were before. Your life should be different because if you've truly believed in Christ, something has happened. You've been set free from slavery to sin. And you're now a slave of righteousness. So now live as someone who's free from sin. Live in that new way. So for those of us who are Christians who are already trusting Christ this morning, I hope that being reminded of God our Saviour, Christ, the Saviour, who rescues us from the guilt of sin and the power of sin. I hope that you will be encouraged and I hope that you will be moved by God to serve him more wholeheartedly with the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But also, if there's anybody here who's not yet trusted in Christ, I do hope and pray that God will use this talk today to help you to see that there is somebody there who's got the power to save you from both the guilt of your sin and from the power of your sin. My prayer is that you'll see that you need saving. You'll see that you are a sinner, as described here in this passage, but you will also come to Christ and look to him for his salvation. Well, we'll have a few moments of prayer before we finish, before we sing our last hymn, we will have a few moments of quietness where we can make our own response to the Lord. And I would encourage you, if you've not yet prayed to the Lord, even today, just right there where you are, come to Jesus. Ask him to save you, that you might be saved from the guilt of sin and from the power of sin. So we'll have a few moments of quiet and then we'll sing our last.